Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And the 4th of July, real nice day out there, sort of comfortably hot. Well, that sidewalk outside is really hot. Yeah. <laughs> Solar energy. Not much energy. breeze. There's not much breeze. Not so, enough. Uh, but not like Saturday. Man, was that... Saturday was brutal. Wicked. Downright... Uh, distasteful and uh it's the fourth of july and we celebrate fireworks around the country but it's quite interesting that in the state of texas they're completely banned due to severe drought oh i'm sure we'll hear news reports tomorrow of fires in texas from folks who are nobody's gonna tell me i can't shoot off my bottle rocket yeah you shame me to shame (laughs) firing them pistols well maybe they'll shoot bullets in the air uh, I think it was John Adams that said the 4th of July is supposed to be celebrated with bells and whistles and loud noises. So I think Daffy Duck. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess the big news last week was that Barack Obama finally had a press conference. Uh, I guess I'll give him a brain damage award just for waiting this long. It's been a, how long? A month? Well, the last one I think was in March, and it's mysterious why he called it in the middle of the day. That's another uh, error on his part. He should do these at night. Prime time, baby. you got to sell the idea. And, of course, uh, we'll give a brain damage award to Mark Halperin of uh, Time Magazine and MSNBC for using a word that we won't use on the air. (laughs) You could call Obama a lot of things. I don't really understand the nature of that comment, but... uh... Yeah, and I don't even understand even the analysis of the comment. Uh, Barack Obama, you know, I think he missed a few points here and there in the press conference. Maybe uh, the fact that he hasn't had one this long, he he showed a little, uh, shall we say, bench uh, tiredness. He's been on the bench too long. Yeah. Muscles are a little uh, rubbery. But uh, the point that he's making, of course, is that Congress, it's their job to come up with the budget. He should have pointed this out a long time ago. Fascinating to hear that the debt ceiling, by the way, has been raised something like 117 times since 1917. Uh, This is an obligation that Congress has um, under the law. And as we've noted in the past down here, these are not uh, issues about where's Medicare going to be in 20 years. Those are policy questions that America needs to solve uh, through some sort of consensus, some sort of an agreement, some sort of an understanding uh, to hold the budget hostage in which we default on our debts like uh, Greece uh, recently was threatened uh, with uh, experiencing is just simply irresponsible. Especially when you pair that with an absolute uh, intransigence uh, with regards to addressing the uh, serious plunge in tax revenues that the country yeah. faces. I mean, And this just comes down to simple accounting. This comes down to arithmetic. And to paraphrase Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, you're entitled to your own opinions, but not your own arithmetic. And if you uh, cut taxes, which is a fiscal stimulus, part of Keynesian economics, nothing wrong with the idea of cutting taxes or targeted tax cuts, but you can't at the same time then complain about the deficit. That's the purpose of cutting taxes. The Republicans have been making an argument since Ronald Reagan that cutting taxes brings in more revenue for the government. Um, 
This is nonsense. That's like working fewer hours and expecting the same paycheck. You got it. <laughs> the math is completely wrong. And uh, if Barack Obama's tone was, uh, you know, it, it, sort of one of admonishment, scolding, whatever you want to call it, pointing out that his daughters uh, do their homework uh, ahead of schedule, not at the last second, he sarcastically said, they don't pull all-nighters. Uh, Fox News, by the way, seemed to dwell on the fact that he got the age of one of his daughters wrong. For the record, she turned 13 today, apparently. Uh, he probably was thinking of her birthday and said that one of his daughters was 13 when, in fact, she was 12. Big deal. Yeah. That's, you know, it's the year that... How many that, men forget that, their anniversary? Yeah, I mean, that's fairly common. Uh, even if it's not a forget, it's a sort of, a, oh, my daughter's 13 this year. Yeah, you, know. you sort of just think, okay, she's turning 13. I just bought her uh, a pony. <laughs> Maybe that's what she wished for for her birthday. A 4th of July pony. Uh, maybe she can ride it around the White House grounds. I hope she gets a pony. Uh, but as for uh, the irresponsible walking out of budget uh, negotiations and kind of attacking the president on the grounds that he hasn't been there Talking is ridiculous. In fact, there's been way too much talking. There's not been enough action. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that if America defaults on the 2nd of uh, August, that um, we are talking about catastrophic and unpredictable things uh, that will happen. Like, for example, uh, being forced to cut government spending by 44% overnight. Then you're going to see... Some serious chaos as, uh, well, decisions have to get made. Uh, who gets paid and who doesn't? Who gets cut free and left uh, hanging to dry? Yeah, and then how Will do you... Will it be the veterans? How do you sell bonds? And, yeah. uh, I mean, maybe they do need to go to a plan B. They need to uh, make sure that the Social Security checks go out, but they need to probably uh, make a point and say, well, we're not going to pay the soldiers. Uh, we're not going to pay contractors in Afghanistan. 90,000 contractors in Afghanistan. And I think Obama has been remiss in pointing out that where they can make substantial budget cuts uh, is, uh, f you know, hastening the withdrawal from Afghanistan. He gave a speech on that, a policy speech a couple weeks ago. And the withdrawal pace, in my opinion, is a little too slow. But at least it's going in the right direction. And at least it's an acknowledgement that... Um, Nation building in Afghanistan is not going to work. So, um, and then, of course, the other trivial issue that uh, the media was all fascinated with was the gay marriage. Uh, well, and today the uh, TVs are filled with nothing but uh, nonstop coverage of people standing around outside the courthouse waiting for this mother who's abused her child and uh, tragically was killed. I don't follow that story because it's sort of become the... Oh, is this the Anthony? The, uh, oh, the Casey Anthony Casey case. Casey Anthony case. Oh, yeah, the jury is uh, been sequestered for their deliberations, and so the TVs are focused on this as though this were determining the entire fate of the nation. It's yeah. a tragedy, of course. It's a yeah. and terrible it's, thing, but it's hardly uh, the most important story in the nation at the moment. Well, Fox views it as certainly one of their most uh, important stories because they... Uh, that's usually either their lead uh, story 
particularly Greta Van Susteren. I don't get that. Uh, this is a trial. Uh, trials happen all over America for all kinds of reasons. The media, of course, is fascinated with this uh, story because of family dysfunctionality. Um, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm always uh, troubled when I see that the most visited sites on the Internet frequently are zombie sites. <laughs> Top three. <laughs> Seems like that's happening every week. Well, America, this land of liberty, we're being sold a bill of goods that uh, obfuscates the real freedoms that we have and uh, attacks and criticizes those who utilize and celebrate those freedoms and liberties. And uh, basically, uh, you're encouraged to become a zombie by Fox News. <laughs> Maybe that's the uh, reason for the wide appeal in the zombie websites. The, the werewolves of London. Ow. Yeah. Well, uh, another thing that's been very troubling to me over the last couple of weeks has been, uh, you know, it's interesting that Michelle Bachman is, seems to be catapulting herself into Romney's main contender. While Tim Pawlenty uh, seems to be going nowhere, of course, Minnesota in the news uh, over the weekend because uh, their state government shut the doors. All the state parks were closed for uh, the 4th of July. Um, people aren't getting paid. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And this is a uh, fiscal situation where the end of the fiscal year is uh, the 30th of June. So everything got shuttered there. And uh, I, by the way, I always recommend uh, if you get an opportunity, check out C-SPAN on Wednesdays for the Prime Minister's questions. Fascinating to uh, hear the uh, the policy debates that go on in, in Great Britain because uh, the conservative government that was elected there just about a year ago uh, is dealing with severe austerity. Um, budget issues and uh, Britain's economy, contrary to the assertions of uh, the advocates of Reaganomics, have not been performing well. Well, one of the things that I wanted to bring up today, because it's the 4th of July, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of uh, Revolutionary War movies and whatnot on uh, the tube, is the interesting uh, book that I've been reading, uh, Between War and Peace, how America Ends Its Wars. And uh, this is uh, one of the reasons this caught my eye was the foreword for this book is by General Martin E. Dempsey. Well, who the heck is he? Well, <laughs> he was just named chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And uh, we saw Leon Panetta, by the way, um, um, approved as the new Secretary of Defense, 100 to nothing. And uh, just a brief comment on Leon Panetta. Remember that he worked in OMB under the Nixon years, so he has plenty of Washington experience on both sides of the party. He was Bill Clinton's chief of staff, recently has been in charge of the CIA, and, of course, has been given great credit for um, the bin Laden operation. Uh, Barack Obama, of course, fumbled the ball on that uh, because he allowed the Bush administration former officials to somehow take over the uh, narrative that they deserved credit for killing bin Laden. There was very little evidence of that. And then he promptly gave a speech a week later on immigration, which uh, on the policy questions he's correct on, but if I were president of the United States, I would scold Congress again on that. That's their job. I signed the bills. 
You write the bills. You pass the budget bills. That's your job. And I don't know how clear it can be. And if you want to call Barack Obama a uh, <clears throat> a wiener, uh, since we're going to be eating them today, it's the 4th of July, and what's the 4th of July without a hot dog? <laughs> um, I guess that's uh, your uh, prerogative, but uh, I think he's just calling the spade a spade and telling it like it is. I wouldn't have gone down the immigration route. But anyway, the reason that I wanted to mention this book is they have a very, they break down all of the wars uh, of American history, and I'm sort of in the William McKinley section, the Philippines uh, mm. insurgency. Uh, fascinating, of course, to uh, read how this became one of America's first, uh, well, indigenous persons kind of war abroad with the imperialism issue. Yeah, indeed. The uh, Filipino uh, people uh, looked forward to being uh, assisted by the Americas, of course, in their uh, attempt to win their independence from Spain. But uh, when uh, what actually happened was the U.S. came in and just swept over and took the colonies and possessions for themselves, it became uh, a very bloody and... Uh, High body count uh, campaign. Yeah, interesting because this insurgency went on for quite some time. Uh, some experts pretty much say it went on for 25 years. But I'll just quote from the book on the on the chapter on the Philippines just because it's an interesting uh, s s numerical summary uh, because of the comparison numerically to the situation in Afghanistan mm. and Iraq, for that matter, regarding the number of American troops says, between 1899 and 1902, and I'm quoting here, I'll, I'll get the author in a second, because this is a, a book with different uh, authors for each section, uh, historians well uh, regarded with outstanding bibliographies. Uh, between 1899 and 1902, roughly 125,000 American soldiers were deployed to the Philippines, with troop strengths averaging about 40,000 a year. Army records are contradictory, but a 1922 summary counted a hundred and a thousand, excuse me, and four combat fatalities, 2,572 dead of disease, 589 other deaths, and 2,900 wounded. The number of veterans who were permanently affected by disease, injuries, and psychological problems is unknown, but the limited evidence suggests it was very high. That was they didn't. Our take such detailed notes back then uh, with regard to psychological consequences. Now, you were uh, told to soak your feet. <laughs> yeah. Take a couple of aspirin and uh, call me in the morning. But uh, what's interesting, of course, uh, on the section regarding Yorktown, which is the revolutionary section, uh, the ch chapter was, is entitled The Final Campaign, The War for Independence, what we learned, despite and, and some of the interesting details about the Revolutionary War and the difficulty that the Continental Army had in the campaign because of the uh, inadequate funding, American uh, colonialists didn't want to pay taxes to pay for the war, which is why John Adams famously said one-third of Americans were for the rebels, one-third of, uh, of the people were for the crown, and the other third were waiting to see which side won. That's right. Which sums it up quite well. And the, the re one of the reasons that I found this thing, this chapter to be a quote fascinating, is the description and the details uh, 
of what happened uh, regarding the Tea Party. We hear a lot about this, and it's interesting how American history is often appropriated by different constituencies around our country for different reasons. And it's also fascinating to learn how things are bollocked up, mixed up, and appropriated inappropriately in which our lessons and uh, the truth of the historical reality is sort of lost in the fog, maybe the fog of war. But I'll read this section on the Tea Party, the Boston Tea Party, in which uh, the author, uh, Ira D. Gruber, Yorktown, the final campaign in the War for American Independence, writes, the differences surfaced, and this is regarding the peace treaty uh, regarding the uh, French and Indian War, or the Seven Years' War, whatever you prefer. The differences resurfaced once again when the British imposed the Townsend Duties of 1767, a new set of duties, tariffs, on trade with the colonies, and gradually moved their army from frontier posts to colonial ports, particularly Boston, in the fall of 1768. Because some colonists had acknowledged Parliament's right to regulate trade, the British decided to raise revenue by imposing duties on goods imported into the colonies. The colonists subjected, much as before, and as before, economic sanctions brought about repeal. In this case, of all the duties, save that on tea. But British troops remained in Boston, where in 1770 they fought with and killed colonists. That massacre was all too vividly remembered when in 1773 the British offered tea, duty paid, at a price lower than that for smuggled tea, tempting the colonists to give up their constitutional objections to parliamentary taxation for inexpensive tea. The people of Boston chose to destroy the tea instead. Parliament responded with acts designated to uphold its sovereign power and punish the people of Boston. So the dispute in the Tea Party was not about taxes. It was about tariffs, free trade. They objected to the duty-free tea versus smuggled tea, whatever that might be. <laughs> uh think uh, the other kind of tea, perhaps. That's what the Boston Tea Party was all about. So when Sarah Palin runs around the country with her party like it's 1773 sign, you gotta wonder uh, whether she, uh, who clearly doesn't know anything about the midnight ride of Paul Revere, actually knows anything about the Tea Party or whether the Tea Party knows anything about it. No, it's pretty clear that they don't. I mean, uh, when somebody like Michelle Bachman can actually say that uh, we are people who simply want to get America back on the right track again, what tracks is she talking about there? It's hard to tell. There's a large, uh, lengthy profile on uh, Michelle Bachman in the... Uh, this last weekend's edition of the Financial Times, written by Stephanie Kirschgeisner. And there's some interesting things in it. And, of course, as this campaign for the 2012 uh, Republican uh, nomination uh, continues to unfold, I'm sure there's all sorts of uh, cats going to be let out of the bag 
And um, it indeed has become uh, this, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah, and this uh, Bachman character, uh, some fairly remarkable recent comments that I'll get to in a moment, but I found this uh, particularly interesting uh, because I know that you and I happen to be big fans of uh, the uh, great American writer Gore Vidal. Oh, yes. And, of course, I recommend his uh, book of essays. Uh, uh, one is named after uh, his piece on Shay's Rebellion, it was a really uh, profound uh, piece of work. And, of course, Gore Vidal wrote a, a number of uh, historical uh, fiction novels. And apparently it was Gore Vidal's novel Burr that turned her from a Jimmy Carter-supporting uh, Democrat into a Republican because she says that it was a snotty novel <laughs> that attacked and mocked the Founding Fathers. And because of Gore Vidal's novel, she realized that she was a Republican. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, unlike Michelle Bachman, uh, Gore Vidal does a lot of historical research. Yes. He reads uh, not only about the historical events that we're all taught in school, but about the actual men themselves, what kind of people they were, uh, what kind of backgrounds they had. Uh, he attempts in his historical fiction to sort of put a psychological... Uh, being over a historical framework and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, flesh out the picture. And let's face it, the Founding Fathers are complicated uh, people. They're yes. not, you know, black and white figures of noble virtue. Uh, they're slave owners. They're businessmen. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're very complicated people. It's it's uh, The merchants un- versus the agrarian farmers. Yeah, exactly. Hamilton versus Jefferson and, of course, Burr. Uh, just for the historical record, was an incredible political rival of Alexander Hamilton in the state of New York. This was yep. an internal New York political dispute. Um, and uh, Burr, of course, killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. In so an infamous unclear. duel, yeah. Um, <laughs> Which side, uh, sir? <laughs> Michelle Bachman is, is on in the duel. But, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> that's just a funny response. But what do you expect? From somebody who uh, went to Oral Roberts University, uh, the really Oral amazing sex Roberts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the uh, and I, I'm sure you've heard about this. I just heard about it today. But uh, this uh, is the most remarkable gaffe so far from Michelle Bachman. But as I say, no doubt it's you know just simply going to continue in, in a line of them. Yeah, uh, she was speaking in Waterloo, Iowa. And uh, she said uh, that, uh, let's see, where's the quote here? I'm looking at an article online from the uh, Los Angeles Times. And she said that uh, a microphone was placed in front of her and a statement that should have been ingrained in her head came out all wrong. She said that like the famous rugged cowboy star John Wayne, she too was from Waterloo, Iowa, which was why she was picking the small town to announce her candidacy. Well, uh, what I want them to know is that just like John Wayne was from Waterloo, Iowa, that's the kind of spirit I have, too, Bachman told a Fox News reporter. But one small detail, John Wayne Gacy, the infamous mass murderer, is from Waterloo. Uh, The Duke, although his parents met in Waterloo, is from Iowa, but from Winterset, nearly three hours away by car. So John Wayne Gacy, the... uh, part-time clown who buried his murder victims in the basement is um, brought back to life. Yeah, and my recollection, by the way, is that John Wayne 
was born Marion Morrison. Marion Morrison, indeed. Which uh, changed his name because it sounds a little feminine. Yes. <laughs> a little, uh, a lot feminine. <laughs> yes. Uh, it sounds a little feminine. John Wayne, of course, <sighs> one can understand why she got confused. He never was from Waterloo, and he never had the name John Wayne, but right. John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, typical Michelle Bachman. And, of course, uh, interestingly, the reason that Alexander Hamilton was one of the great founding fathers was that he was the first treasury of the secretary. Yeah. Uh, George Washington, who uh, founded the Federal Reserve, basically, um, as the saying goes, uh, some men are born great. <laughs> Others become great, and others have greatness thrust upon them. Uh, was all three a natural-born leader, and in his first cabinet, of course, he selected both Thomas Jefferson and uh, Alexander Hamilton, while political rivals on political issues were competent uh, in their own departments. And, of course, Alexander Hamilton, as a, quote, federalist, believed in taxation. This is why the Constitution was created. So the idea that the Tea Party is somehow trying to assume sort of uh, possession, the mantle, yeah. a mantle of constitution. We have our constitutions right here, and we're going to wave them in front of you. The Constitution, Michelle Bachman, was created for the purposes of a strong central government because it needed powers of taxation. This was why the Articles of Confederation failed. It's the other way around. You would You would think that they would understand that the reason that Hamilton, as an advocate of the Federalist position, believed in the right of the government, the consent of the governed, a concept that was uh, sort of evolved from the Declaration of Independence, the purpose of government was to tax, to create improvements. Alexander Hamilton believed in roads. Infrastructure. This Infrastructure. is what's good for business. It's good for people. It's a, good for jobs. Looking out for the, the industrialists of New York City, yeah. for God's sakes. That's where he was from. So this idea that they somehow stand up for states' rights or uh, limited government is... What are they advocating? The Articles of Confederation that failed? <laughs> we, have we have a th three-branched... Republic. We have we have a, a system derived from the Enlightenment, from both British and French uh, concepts of government that were melded into the 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 beauty of the United States Constitution. It's it's remarkable stuff. And as we can see, even from the Tea Party, this was not about taxation. This was a a, a free trade dispute. Yep. This was a tariff dispute. Tariffs. Revenue you, enhancement? Oh, taxation. We can't say that word. No well, representation without taxation. They don't know the difference between uh, a tax and a tariff or a hole in the ground and a particular orifice. And one wonders if the government does shut down in, um, in uh, August, whether yeah. that it comes to that, whether the insanity uh, prevails. Uh, and lunatics have definitely taken over the asylum because if you'll recall my uh, the Gray Matter show the night before the election, I said the Republicans were going to win big, but there were going to be no winners in America. You know, really fascinating, by the way, that uh, it, recently in uh, Germany there's been an outbreak of E. coli. So one wonders if food inspectors are going to be not paid. 
not available to inspect food. And what's very interesting about the E. coli, and I wanted to read this both as sort of a illustrative point about the purpose of government and why Germany is investigating this so thoroughly, is that the scientists in Germany have discovered an unusual combination of uh, traits in the uh, German E. coli strain that appears to have uh, come from bean sprouts. Now, I am an advocate of bean sprouts. I actually cooked them yesterday, but I recommend cooking them. Don't ever eat sprouts raw, even alfalfa sprouts. Don't be a sprout head. Yeah. Uh, bean sprouts, I made fried rice. Love them in the fried rice, bibimbap, etc. But don't eat them raw. Cook them because that is what kills the bacteria. And obviously the people that have died here from kidney failure um, probably ate bean sprouts raw somehow. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they did it, whether they put it on a salad or... Or what? But it's unusual and interesting that a lot of the uh, the deaths, as of June thirtieth, no, excuse me, June twentieth, uh, the bean sprouts had sickened uh, two thousand six hundred and eighty four people with diarrhea and uh, kidney failure. Thirty nine people have died. The proportion with kidney failure twenty five percent was extraordinary, according to Doctor. Uh, Valdor. <laughs> Moreover, uh, the victims tended to be young and middle-aged women. Well, what's interesting about this unusual straight, strain of E. coli, and I mentioned this for public uh, service reasons, uh, this article by Gina Collada in the Thursday, uh, June 23rd edition of the New York Times, she writes that there was a combination. One was a toxin called Shinga that causes severe illness, including bloody diarrhea and, in some patients, kidney failure. The other was the ability of this strain to gather on the surface of the intestinal wall in a dense pattern that looks like a stack of bricks, possibly enhancing the bacteria's ability to uh, pump the toxin into the body. So this is a very unusual strain of E. coli that the Europeans are still investigating because it's uh, apparently affected some Swedes now. Very interesting stuff. This is why we pay taxes for public health, for science to do investigations like this, to figure out what the heck's going for on. For food safety and inspections. I mean, you, you talked at the beginning of the show about the number of uh, deaths in the Philippines. Uh, when the U.S. went to war with Spain in Cuba, most of the U.S. soldiers who died died not from wounds or injuries received in battle, but from eating tainted meat uh, sold to the Army by the Hormel Company. So there were, of course, no food safety laws at that time. Spam and eggs, spam, spam eggs and spam. Spam eggs, bacon, spam, spam, and uh, Teddy Roosevelt. But I don't charge, like spam. Charge up the hill, as heroic and noble as it may have been, uh, was just uh, sort of the propaganda dressing on that war. But yeah. most guys died from sickness, uh, easily preventable with uh, safe food inspections. And of course, to his credit, Teddy Roosevelt was the president who brought that into being with the Food and Drug Administration. Yes, that's. And the way government works to help and protect the people, to 
And he was a Republican. Jerry Max just joined us in the studio here. Yes, uh, the the kind of Republican, as Joe Biden famously says, this is not your grandfather's Republican Party. 